Let's explore what it means to be well. From meditation, stress management, safer substance use, and sexual health, we will literally talk sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Join us to dive deep into some student health questions. We'll learn about wellness together, try some coping tools, and meet some interesting people. Your co-hosts, Heather and Craig. Perfect blend of Campus Health and Wellness Center and cells. Each week, we'll DIY a wellness tool together. And then nerd out and dig into the science behind how it works. Email your health and wellness-related questions to wellpod at durhamcollege.ca to be discussed anonymously on air. Welcome Welcome to the the WellPod Wellpod at DC. Welcome to the WellPod at DC from the Media Hub here at riotradio.ca. Today we are talking about stress. (laughs) <laughs> we felt it a few weeks ago. We're probably still feeling a always, little bit of it always. starting this new journey, being on Riot Radio. We talked a few weeks ago about, especially that first episode, really noticing the stress response in our bodies. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I was a little shaky. Uh, I was feeling a little bit disorganized. Today, my laptop was dead before starting today Mm -hmm. where I have all my notes so I had to bring another one Mm -hmm. there's many times we feel stress and we hear it a lot from students and I would imagine even at cells all the time yeah Mm -hmm. for sure for sure how often would you say stress is kind of a component of students connecting to your services it depends on the depth of stress Mm -hmm. I would say to some extent it always is 100% of the time because I'm seeking out support because I'm nervous we might say right that i am not completing this correctly or that my writing skills or what can i improve upon but that stress makes people alert to i better seek out some help and we'll talk about that today Mm -hmm. kind of the the hidden superpowers and the positive side of Mm -hmm. stress so our student question this week was why do i get so nervous before tests and presentations being a student is so stressful Mm -hmm. i kind of joke and use a metaphor that college is like a crock pot Mm -hmm. for stress Mm -hmm. there are so many components to why this can be a stressful environment but also life doesn't stop just because you're a student Mm -hmm. and you come to durham college Mm -hmm. life continues and all of our own personal lives are riddled with different areas of stress So today we're going to talk a little bit about what is stress. We're going to jump in and talk a little bit about one of the main tools or um, really foundational tools for stress, breathing. And we'll talk about the power of just taking some breaths and breathing. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also talk about perception. So pay attention to that word today because I think Craig and I are going to be using it quite a bit. But Mm -hmm. uh, near the end of the show, we'll dig a little bit deeper into perception. So let's start talking a little bit about what is stress. So. Uh, Let's play a game first. I want you and all of our listeners and Riot Radio staff to think about something in your life right now that is causing you stress. I'm not going to ask you to share, disclose any information, but I'm going to do a magic trick and I'm going to be able to tell why you are stressed out. So are you thinking about something that's making you stressed right now? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Gabor Matei, one of, I'm a fan, uh, favorite of Dr. Gabor Matei, reminder, he's a Hungarian-Canadian physician. Uh, In his book, When the Body Says No, which was released in 2019, he mentions three factors that are universal when they've looked across all of the research when it comes to stress that leads to stress. So I bet you the thing that you're thinking about will land into one of these three categories. We stressed out based on uncertainty. We get stressed when we have a lack of information. Or we get stressed out when we feel a loss of control. Would you say that what you're thinking of might fall in one of those three categories? <laughs> for sure, for Magic. sure. Magic. 
I did it. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Gabor Mate, that book, When the Body Says No, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting read, similar to his other books that we've mentioned mm-hmm. on our uh, well pod here at DC. It can be a bit heavy. He talks through different uh, scientific literature and the history of stress. One of the things the book really highlights is for many of us, we have this unwillingness or inability to say no to different pressures in our life. Mm -hmm. And our body will do it for us. Mm -hmm. Hence the title, uh, When the Body Says No. And so Mm -hmm. the idea that Gabor Mate really tries to highlight is that stress is our body's response when we are maybe unable to or are unwilling to say no to different pressures in our life and it starts to create illness. He also Mm. believes we live in this society of uh, chronic stress. Stress is a normal and healthy part of our life. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But he believes we are truly living in this environment of chronic stress. And it's mostly subconscious. So often we might point out when we're feeling stress, but his book really highlights that Mm. many of us are operating with this kind of unconscious, subconscious, I should say, um, chronic stress. The book also dives into what we call a biopsychosocial approach. So it really tries to highlight stress from a lot of different factors. But he believes the mind-body connection that we've known for hundreds of years, he calls it the Bermuda Triangle in the medical world. We've known about the mind-body connection for so many years and research keeps highlighting it time and time again. But it almost kind of disappears in this Mm -hmm. Bermuda Triangle, especially in the medical area Mm -hmm. where we're maybe not building on it and learning from it Mm -hmm. as best as we can. (laughs) And so there's actually a whole field, and this was a new term when I was prepping for today's podcast. I actually had never came across this word before, and I didn't remember it much from his book, but it's actually called psychoneuroimmunology. (laughs) Have you heard of that term before? I've not heard of that. Psychoneuroimmunology. And so if you even just break it down from a linguistic perspective, I was like, this is what our podcast is Mm -hmm, about today. For sure. This is what we're doing on my radio. Um, And so he really tries to highlight the psychology, the neurology, and the immunology uh, that is happening behind stress. One of the biggest things from the book that I took away is his conversations around anger, especially Mm -hmm. repressed anger, and how he believes that's a foundation for a lot of chronic stress in our life. So let's talk a little bit about what is stress. You can turn to different organizations like Canadian Mental Health Association. They define stress as the body's response to a perceived threat. The World Health Organization defines stress as a state of worry or tension caused by a difficult situation. And it's a natural response that actually prompts us to address change, which you mentioned you see at Sal sometimes. Mm -hmm. Students are able to recognize that stress a natural response and it's prompting them to address a challenge or a change that is needed. Mm -hmm. I also like to draw from mechanics or physics when I talk about stress. So if you pick up a pen uh, or if you have a pipe cleaner at home or a popsicle stick, I want you to apply pressure and almost try to break it, but don't, right? What you're Mm -hmm. doing is you're applying some force and some pressure. And this is what stress is. Mm -hmm. In physics, stress is the amount of force that objects place on each other, right? So the force that you're putting on that pen right in front of me, if you're at home doing this, right? That's what stress is in physics. And I think we can use this as a really nice metaphor when we think about human stress as well. Mm -hmm. Stress is this force of either an external or an internal stimuli. And if we look at the history of stress, it's actually a new word. 
up until the 1940s, we didn't have the word stress. And if we look to the father of stress research, Hans Selye, he was a Hungarian-Canadian, again, another Hungarian-Canadian, mm -hmm. and he was an endocrinologist. You got it. Did I you got that it. right? <laughs> uh, he studied at McGill, and when he was in med school, what he was noticing is it didn't matter if people were in the hospital for a broken leg, the flu, whatever ailment they were in for, there was something common between all of them. And we didn't have that word stress yet, but this commonality of symptoms, he described as the general adaptation syndrome. Mm -hmm. And this would eventually become known as the stress response. And he talked about seeing a sense of an alarm. Our body was doing something, alarms were going off. There was this kind of resistance. So if you think about that pen that you're just trying to bend, there's this resistance. And what did you notice when you were doing that with your pen? Did you notice a sensation like in your arms and fingers? Well, it kind of gets harder. The harder you push, there's a little more resistance there. Absolutely. Sure. And there is a transfer of energy almost, right? Mm, it's taking energy yeah, yeah, to yeah. keep that resistance, sure. not completely break it. Yeah. And you're maybe you notice when you're bending that pen or pipe cleaner, mm -hmm. a bit of resistance. And so with that energy exchange, that force comes exhaustion mm -hmm. at the end of it, right? So he noticed there was this alarm, something's happening, this resistance and then the sense of exhaustion that was happening after. This was built on work by American psychologist Walter Cannon uh, in, at Harvard in the early 1900s, and probably everyone listening knows fight and flight. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that term For before sure. in connected With sure. stress and anxiety? Yeah. He actually was one of the ones uh, that really started researching this and coined that term, okay. fight or flight. Uh, Dr. Cannon at Harvard, or he was a psychologist, sorry. And they were noticing this in animals and experiments, the response to different threats, and really notice adrenaline. That was kind of our main stress area in research is what's happening here with adrenaline. And they did a lot of research with World War I veterans. Mm -hmm. And what they were noticing is when they were returning, we called it shock. Something was happening again, didn't matter the physical ailment, there was something common between many of them, and they just referred to it as battle fatigue. Mm -hmm. And what they noticed is when they tested their blood, it was actually more acidic. Hmm. I know. Something was happening within blood, raising this acidity level, um, and they called this battle fatigue. But then Sally, Han Sally, really built on this and created what we now know as the stress response. Mm -hmm. So stress is a response to a perceived threat, and we'll talk about perception later today. And it really gets us thinking about our capacity and our resources. So the theory is we stress out more when we're recognizing that we don't have the resources or the capacity. So resources could be time. Mm -hmm. I'm a student, my test is tomorrow, I don't have time to study tonight. Could be time, could be money. I don't have the finances to afford food right now, to supply resources for my family. It might be just energy. I'm drained. I don't mm -hmm. want to continue to do my evening activities. Patience, our skill set. There are so many different resources mm -hmm. that could kind of be that foundation for our stress out in those moments. Um, and something I also wanted to highlight was something called the human function curve. Are you familiar with the human function curve? I don't know curve? that one, no. So this is from Nixon, 1979. He was a cardiologist, so a heart mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. And what he built is this framework and this formula for human function curve that started to build on our research on stress. So I want you to imagine you have performance on one axis and you have stress on the other. 
the idea at that bottom initial corner where our performance is very low and we have no stress, we're actually very bored mm-hmm. and we're not motivated. The curve starts to go up, kind of like an upside down U. Mm-hmm. And as we start to build, our performance increases, our stress is increasing, and this is a comfortable stage. We have a little bit of stress, we're performing okay, but the peak or the hump, as it's called, is where we actually engage in flow. We have a moderate amount of stress, but we have high performance, and we're engaged, we're building meaning and purpose, we're in this state of flow, but then we start to slide down the U, we have a lot of stress, and our performance starts to dip, and we get to a place called burnout. So really interesting to kind of look at this as well. The last thing I wanted to highlight is something called NUTS. And this is an acronym that was built by the Center for Studies of Human Stress, which is built out out of Montreal. They do a lot of clinical work and different uh, research around stress. And they have this acronym NUTS. Like G-N-A-T-S? N. N, N, Oh, N. Okay. Yes, not guts. Although we can maybe tweak it. I was thinking the insect, (laughs) nuts. Oh, yeah. No, nuts. Okay. Um, Okay. And very similar to Gabor Matei, they believe that human stress can fall into one of four categories. Any guesses what the N stands for? Nervousness? Novelty. Novelty. Oh, I see. So when things are new or novel, Mm -hmm. we sometimes feel the sensation of stress. Now remember, stress is not necessarily bad, Mm -hmm. and you'll talk in a few seconds around the responses in our body, Mm -hmm. but what they notice is when we're doing something new for the first time, our stress increases. Being on a roller coaster for the first Mm -hmm. time, right, it's novel and new. Podcast for the first time, as you said. Podcast for the first time, (laughs) right? New time at school, being Mm -hmm. a college student, new relationship. What's the you? Any guesses? Guesses from the room, what a you might be? Is that unknown situations? Yeah, okay. unpredictability. Unpredictability, yeah. Okay. Uh, the T is threat to ego. Mm-hmm. So when we feel like we might be not uh, showcased as competent, um, all sorts of different threats to our ego. Ego work is something that maybe we'll talk about in a few weeks. And then the last one, the S, is sense of control. Mm-hmm. Right. So nuts, we tend to stress out when there's nuts. Mm-hmm novelty, unpredictability, threat to ego, and sense of control. But there's a lot more happening behind the scenes here when it comes to the anatomy For sure. and the biology and the neuroscience of For stress. Sure. Yeah. So as far as what's going on in the brain and, uh, you know, within our fairly short podcast here, it's hard to touch on. Uh, we can on, talk about this for weeks. Uh, for weeks, yeah. for weeks. But um, I came across another book that I think the image will show up on the screen here. The body keeps the score. Um, that is by, um, my brain is going blank, uh, Van der Kolk, Dr. Van der, Van yes. der Kolk. And um, it's a very interesting um, um, book, and I'm only partway through, and a lot of it ties into actually what you're talking about for Gabor's book. Um, Van der Kolk is a doctor who works with um, people who've gone through traumas. So I will say if you uh, find interest in this and pick up the book, be warned that some of the examples of patients Mm -hmm. can be quite shocking to read, and so it's maybe not for everybody. Um, But it's a really interesting introduction to um, yes what's going on with traumatized patients but in general for all of us even if we're not going through trauma what's going on in our body as far as uh, stress goes Mm -hmm. and so one of the um, um, images that is um, touched on on page 61 of the book that I think will uh, show up on screen here is an image that um, 
that discusses what's going on in our brain as we have perceived uh, threats or things that are going on around us. And so on the right-hand side of the image, I'm just gonna move this, you have the sort of first step of the process is the information that comes into our brains, right? We have lots of things going around, uh, going on around us, I should say, right? We're seeing things, we're healing, hearing things, feeling things, emerging words here with my nervousness. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are our sensations, things that we're experiencing and, um, and receiving from around us. Well then, all of those sensations uh, or signals about those sensations end up going to the thalamus part of our brain. And there's different analogies for it, but uh, in my class that I teach, I say the thalamus is kind of like the triage nurse. If you've been to the ER and it's kind of go to bed one, no, you go to bed five and so on based on which doctor might see you later because we're figuring out what is this information about? Mm -hmm. Well, it sends it to various parts of your brain, but one of them, especially under a stressful situation, is the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And so there's two major parts that we'll talk about here in terms of our brain, but the amygdala is related to this stress response. It's that fast response to what are these signals that are coming in right now. You know, sitting here having this conversation, we're getting those, um, that information going into our brain and we're relatively, uh, relatively calm here. If all of a sudden behind me there was a loud bang that was to go off no matter what it is, it's still sensory information to my ear, goes to my thalamus, and then the amygdala decides whether it's going to react. And it's actually the fastest sort of um, part of our brain in terms of processing the information, because safety first, if you will. If there was a loud bang just outside of the, um, the department here or the station here, it would be what is that we need to react. And this is interesting because an example I remember from years ago is if you are walking down the street and a car almost hits you, you automatically respond and people often say, well, I, I didn't even see that vehicle, but you just automatically have this response for safety. So for it's sure. really quick. For sure. It's very instant. Yeah. If you think about it, even though it's a bang from outside, maybe someone drops something, you know, somewhat loud on the floor, it's nothing that we're... Uh, consciously in danger of once we find out later and I'll get to that in a second but our body and brain are just be safe now yeah. right respond Quick. you and I would both be moving in our seats looking mm -hmm. around you know go, getting ready for what's going on right and so this is that amygdala portion of our brain processing that and then sign sending signals to our hypothalamus which, which is shown sort of on the um, uh, well, bottom of the image here, but it's the sun looking image uh, on the bottom of our picture that is going to release our stress hormones. You mentioned one of them, our adrenaline, or at least mm -hmm. signal for the adrenaline to be released, mm -hmm. as well as cortisol, another stress hormone that uh, ends up being released. These are being signaled as I have to take care of that. Our blood pressure will go up, our heart rate will go up, our um, perception of, we mentioned we'll talk about that, of that stimulation and being aware of what's around us will increase because we need to be safe. Yes. And then there's a number of other things there. The hippocampus is kind of a helper to the amygdala based on previous experiences and whatnot. But way over on the left, you have the prefrontal cortex. 
This is the slow poke, if you will, out of the two that says, hey, something's happened. What is that something that's happened? And of course, I'm being a little bit silly here, but relating it to prior knowledge of we get up and we go look and we see, oh, someone was moving a table and they dropped it. Okay, we know what a table is. I've dropped tables before, dropped things before and so on. I'm not in any danger, but your amygdala at first didn't care, right? It was just a, oh gosh, heart rate up, blood pressure up, uh, breathing rate up is another one, right? And so all that's related to stress in terms of the processes going on in our bodies tied to some of those things you talked about there in terms of the novelty gets it going or the uh, various other uh, areas you talked about it, right? Yeah. And so the interesting thing I find about stress hormones as well, you mentioned some of the different systems that they start activating, mm -hmm. uh, adrenaline and cortisol, I think both interact with glucose a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it tends to increase our glucose, which I just learned that. And I was like, why, why is it trying to give our body energy? But it's trying to prepare your muscles uh, for battle, for fighting and for repair as well. And that's where the fight or flight comes in, right? If I have to, if all of a sudden we were in a fight, just to use that example, right? Oh gosh, my blood pressure's up. No, but uh, right, I would need to um, defend myself or leave. It takes muscles to do that. Those muscles require blood to go to them, bringing sugar and oxygen so that I can run and get away. If I ran out of those things almost instantly, I would be maybe out the door here and then I fall over and being silly, but I fall over with no energy and now you've caught up and I'm in trouble. Yes. So you're absolutely right that then stress leads to uh, sugar uh, levels going up as well as breathing rate, heart rate mm -hmm. and so on for sure. And breathing we'll talk about in our next segment, mm -hmm. but even with breathing, the increase, we're trying to get more oxygen into our body mm -hmm. and uh, the oxygen, more oxygen to our brain is trying to make us more alert. So we're able to better problem solve, be aware of what's happening. For sure. So when we're noticing the stress response in our body, it's interesting if we start to unpack it, all of the systems are actually trying to help us. Yes. They're trying to be beneficial as For much sure. as the nervousness, the shaky, the sweat mm -hmm. may feel at the time not being beneficial. Yeah. It's our body's way of trying to prepare us to either have the energy to flee away or face this dangerous looking table and fight it. That's right, that's right. And then even though tests might be very different from the situations we're using here, it's still our mind is getting into a, or a body I should say, along with our mind is getting into a, how do I deal with this and get oxygen to my mind to keep my energy levels up so I can focus. Though when things start to go awry, uh, not that this is the topic for today, but sometimes it can become uh, you know too much and I can't focus on the test and so on but the end goal is to focus on that and as we mentioned right breathing ties into that mm -hmm. as well as something we'll get to in a different week meditation mm -hmm. if I can there's another um, another image that all that relates to this it's from page 63 of the uh, of the book where it kind of simplifies all of those parts uh, apologize for the maybe over science lesson for those who uh, <laughs> but is it it, uh, it sort of uh, takes all of that information and puts it into there's these two aspects of what's acting on the amygdala 
our prefrontal cortex and then uh, all of those sensations that are coming into our body. And so there's kind of uh, in that image, what it's showing is there's these two levels of trying to help with our stress. There's kind of bottom up control and top down control. And they're related to what you mentioned in terms of breathing is along with other things, touch and, uh, and um, uh, so on, but is breathing exercise to regulate that bottom up change of information that's coming to the amygdala and making us, um, you know, very stressed out versus the um, top down is more tied to meditation, which is something we uh, mm -hmm. might want to get into in a future uh, week here. But that's the level of, um, you know, reflecting on what's going on and in terms of in our body, in terms of things going on outside of our body, and then having an effect on calming the amygdala based on but i understand the situation that i'm in based on reflection meditation mm -hmm. and uh, and so on and so that's where this picture comes in of yeah there's these two two, two control mechanisms and we want to kind of jump into one today as far as breathing as you mentioned already absolutely and from that top down as well meditation reflection um with perception and the way that we're thinking, our mindset, mm -hmm. very much tied. For sure. And from Dr. Gabor Matei's When the Body Says No book, I just wanted to read a quick quote that he speaks very much to this because I think the misunderstanding is that it's about positive thinking mm -hmm. and just having positive thoughts. And his one of his beliefs is that in order to heal from chronic stress, it is essential to gather the strength to think negatively. Willingness to consider what is not working, what's not in balance, what have I ignored, what is my body saying no to is vital. Mm -hmm. So we'll dive a little bit yeah, deeper into that good. after our music break. So coming up after the music break, we're going to do some breathing together. We're going to talk a little bit about the science behind mm -hmm. breath and breathing and how it's influential for our body. And so get comfy and we'll practice some activities together. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub. As well, check us out at Wellness at DC. Here is Stressed Out by 21 Pilots and also Stressed Out, a different song by Rex Orange County, right here on riotradio.ca. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard I wish I had a better voice that sang some better words I wish I found some chords in an order that is new I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang I was told when I get older all my fears would shrink But now I'm insecure and I care what people think My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. I 
certain smell will take me back to when I was young. How come I'm never able to identify where it's coming from? I'd make a candle out of it if I ever found it. Try to sell it, never sell out of it. I probably only sell one. Maybe to my brother, 'cause we have the same nose, same clothes, homegrown as stones thrown from a creek we used to roam. But it would remind us of when nothing really mattered. Out of student loans and treehouse homes, we all would take the ladder. My, my name's Blurry Face, and I care what you think. My name's Blurry Face, and I care what you think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time. The different names we would build a rocket ship and then we fly it far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing at the face, saying, "Wake up, you need to make money." Yeah, we used to play pretend, give each other different names. We would build a rocket ship and then we fly it far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing at the face, saying, "Wake up, you need to make money." Yeah, wish we could turn back time to the good old days. When the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days. When the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. We used to play pretend, used to play pretend, bunny. We used to play pretend, wake up, you need the money. Used to play pretend, used to play pretend, bunny. We used to play pretend, wake up, you need the money. Play pretend, give each other different names. We would build a rocket ship and then we fly far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing at the face, saying, "Wake up, you need to make money." Yeah. What's yours? They wanna go for dinner on your name. I let them take control and take me for a fool. It's such a shame. I never said a word, and all the time that I waited was a waste. They wanna see me stressed out every day. I know it. They wanna lie and still be friends, but when you're at your worst, they're not there, and you discover that they don't care. So you didn't know any better. Doesn't it feel unfair? Stressed out every day, I know it. They wanna lie and still be friends, but when you're at your worst, they're not there. Then you discover that they don't care. No, you didn't know no Welcome back to the WellPod at DC from Media Hub on RiotRadio.ca. 
So we wanted to talk about one really important tool today for stress, and it's connected in so much of what you were discussing earlier, Craig, around the different systems, the biology, neurology, and anatomy of what's happening. And we want to talk about breathing, just breath, right? There's something really interesting about breathing, and we'll talk about a book in a little bit, but deep controlled breathing, it's a skill that we've actually lost, the theory is, that we're losing our ability to do deep and important breath work. It's taught often in different mindfulness activities, uh, meditation, for instance, and yoga. And one of the things that we look at is, you know, the air all around us Mm -hmm. is comprised of nitrogen, carbon dioxide, and oxygen. And it's that oxygen that, especially when we talk about stress, that we might want to be trying to increase Mm -hmm. during these stressful times. What's interesting, though, is breathing is the physical process of intaking that air. But there's something happening from a, a respiration level which is the chemical process Mm -hmm. of what's happening when we are breathing we do this automatically it's part of our autonomic nervous system and um yeah so let's talk a little bit about how it activates that parasympathetic nervous system and the difference between all of the different systems that are happening when we're doing this process we call breathing for sure so in terms of the systems that you mentioned so to kind of paint a a picture here the autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that is automatic if you will you don't have to think about it right right now you you and i don't have to like okay craig remember to breathe Mm -hmm. hey heart remember to beat you know whoa slow down there right it just does it it changes automatically as we do various things. If we went for a run, we're going to just naturally breathe faster. Our heart rate will go faster. It's our autonomic nervous system that is doing that. The two sub uh, components or nervous systems that are part of that overall nervous system are our sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. You mentioned one of them there. So the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight that you mentioned earlier. That's the one that kind of related to the, uh, well, the fear that we've talked about, but even the running is going to send signals to our heart to beat faster, to our, um, to our um, respiratory system muscles to breathe faster and so on because of either a fearful situation or even though going for a run for exercise is not per se fearful, still our body having that same response. It's a stress on the body. You got it. Exactly. And then the opposite is the parasympathetic nervous system that is involved in, um, there's different sort of memory tricks I've come across, but being calm, cool, and collected, slowing the heart rate down, slowing your breathing rate down. And, um, and another uh, memory trick I've come across is resting and digesting Yes, is just, you know, I'm taking it easy. I'm done my run. I'm sitting down at night watching TV and taking it easy. Breathing rate slows down, you know, heart rate slows down and so on. I've also heard of uh, using the metaphor of a, a gas pedal and a brake pedal. For sure. Right, so the uh, sympathetic, sympathetic <laughs> nervous system is your your gas pedal, you right? Got Go, yeah. burst of that energy, heart rate up. Yeah. Whereas the parasympathetic nervous system is that break. For sure. The calm. And a little. So I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but in humans. Uh, um, something I came across was also how those interact and relate to our sort of, uh, I've heard it called a few different things, but almost our social 
uh, nervous system, if you will, the feeding off somebody else in terms of, you know, stress induces stress. And so if you're around somebody who is stressed out, it causes me to stress out, right? And what that relates to is a number of things, but even some things like uh, furls on people's bra uh, brows. Yeah, right now, okay, I said something wrong, right? Um, of course, smiling, frowning, these things we play off of each other and they affect these things too, which is a really, again, I don't wanna go that's off. That's mere neurons. I wonder if that's connected there. Definitely, it definitely is in the sense of we, uh, research shows that we tend to mirror each other. I don't want to go again too much of a tangent, but a really Episode cool, 12. yeah, I know, <laughs> but a really cool research that I was uh, reading about where um, um, they were putting electrodes on uh, monkeys' brains to see what their brains were doing as they picked up food. Well, then what they had, they had monkeys where they were still connected to the, re the electrodes while the trainer was picking up food. And the neurons in the monkey's brain fired as if the monkeys were picking up the food, just watching the trainer do it. Right. And so again, it goes to the, you know, if you came in real nervous today and then I'm like, okay, I'm real nervous now too. And going back to tests and the question, if I'm standing outside of the test room and everybody is uh, freaking out before the test and, Hey, did you study this? Hey, did you do that? Right. We talk faster. We're having more straight faced. I'm picking up, I'm mirroring the nervousness that they're experiencing. Very neat. Yeah. So Very how neat. do we overcome that though is still the topic, right? Like yeah. what can we do on our own, maybe breathing wise and so on yeah. to then <sighs> calm down. Get that brake pedal yeah. back on. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Journalist James Nestor wrote a book in 2020, unfortunately, due to the year that was 2020. I think it kind of got missed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a brilliant book. It's called Breath the new science of a lost art. And we have an image on the screen, both of James and his book. It is fantastic. It dives into the history, the science, and the culture of breathing and the impacts to human health. And one of the things he highlights is the shift away from nasal breathing to chronic mouth breathing. Hmm. And some of the theories of what this is doing to our health uh, and why that movement happened, that shift happened. Some of the research is pointing towards our increase in processed foods, um, and then some of the, the health-related issues are an increase in snoring, sleep apnea, asthma, uh, autoimmune diseases, among several others. So this mm. book really starts to dive into some of that research and what's happening, both history, science, and culture. Um, the other thing it highlights is uh, for 6,000 years in India, Pranarama, which is Sanskrit, Prana means vital life force, and yama is gain control. So it's a type of deep controlled breathing techniques. As mentioned, 6,000 years, we can find it uh, through different cultural pieces and, and um, uh, different evidence that they've been practicing it. And so we're gonna do some activities today on controlled breathing. So if you'd like to follow along, I encourage you to get comfortable. You can lay down if you want, but sitting up straight is always a little bit better so that you can really activate all those systems that Craig has been talking about and really tap into your lungs and get them all nice and straight. Uh, you can close your eyes during this activity if it makes you feel comfortable, but you can also leave them open. So we're gonna do two different techniques. The first is what we call square breathing or triangle breathing. 
And then we're also going to do alternate nostril breathing as well. And so open your eyes after the first set uh, and I'll walk you through the alternate nostril breathing as well. So we're going to start with square breathing and we have an image on the screen if you'd like to use it to a bit of a foundation. So the idea behind square breathing is we're going to try to control our breaths using the metaphor or the image of a square. So as you move across the top of your square, you're going to inhale a breath through your nose and try to do that for about four seconds. Then as you come down the side of the the square, you're going to hold your breath in for about four seconds. As you come across the bottom of the square, this is where you're going to exhale through your nose for four seconds. And then you're going to hold again coming up the side of that square for another four seconds. So it just kind of follows that route of a square of inhaling, holding, exhaling, and holding. So if you'd like to close your eyes and follow along, we're just gonna take a few cycles together. So let's inhale and hold. Exhale through your nose and hold. And inhale. Hold. Exhale through your nose. Hold. And now we're back at our inhales. And I encourage you just for the next few cycles to go at your own pace, whatever's feeling comfortable. Inhaling through your nose. Holding. Exhaling. And holding before you inhale again. So we can also twist this image to now just be a triangle. And what we're going to do now is you're going to inhale for four seconds, hold before that final four seconds of an exhale. And so you move right from an exhale to an inhale, but you hold in between that inhale Mm -hmm. and that exhale. And again, try for all the different phases to be roughly about four seconds count in your mind, but also listen to your body, what you're needing right now. You might be breathing a little bit faster, or you can start getting really into some deep controlled breathing and hold longer than four. So let's inhale together and hold. Exhale and inhale. Hold that inhale in. Exhale through your nose. And then inhale through your nose. Continue for a few cycles at your own pace. Inhaling. Holding. Exhaling. Before you inhale again. What did you notice, Craig, through a few minutes of some deep (laughs) controlled breathing? Did you notice any of those systems at work? Yeah, so, I mean, I think we tend to, I tend to 
focus on the, oh, I've kind of slowed down here, like you said, applied some of the brakes and uh, to, to the system. But one of the things tied back to those two systems that I found interesting um, reading through uh, Van der Kolk's book is he talks about this in terms of breathing and the um, sorry, sympathetic and parasympathetic systems that it's actually interesting, even though we tend to think about it kind of slowing down, that as you inhale, it's actually sort of spurring the sympathetic nervous system a little bit and heart rate goes up a little bit. And then mm. the parasympathetic kicks in when you're breathing out, which he mentions that's why in um, those kind of breathing exercises, uh, sometimes when people are um, uh, walking you through, they'll say, focus on the breath coming out of your nose or whatever the case is because, okay, that's the calming side of things. And it was interesting, he uh, talked about a term heart rate variability mm. related to calming and, and, um, and health in the sense of it's not just oh, only bringing the heart rate down, but this variability between, you know, I, I breathe in, my heart rate goes up, I breathe out, my heart rate goes down, and that change leads to a calming factor uh, in there, which I thought was interesting because so my brain was just on the, um, you know, I'm, I'm calming myself down. That's the goal of doing these breathing exercises. And I wonder, and I, I pitched this to you uh, on our break, is I wonder if part of that increase in your blood pressure and, and um, that rate is because it's trying to move that oxygen from your lungs mm -hmm. into your bloodstream and then up to your central nervous system into your brain yeah. that then can help activate those other systems that will start putting the break on for sure and i will admit like i've not looked into that because it's something that's yeah i haven't come across yeah. before you know it's a great idea but i think it probably is tied to that from the what i have read where in terms of taking those deep breaths you're kind of mimicking what you would do under that stressful response right mm -hmm as i'm as i'm going through you know using that loud noise that we mentioned before the break of okay i need to get air in oxygen in in order to be able to do deal with this stressor right mm -hmm. so even though we're sitting here you know calmly no loud noises right breathe in i'm emulating that stressful situation of me you know taking a deep breath in and we do this in non-stressful situations beyond uh beyond breathing exercises things like before a race right if you watch the olympic 100 meter sprints not only are the runners you know um uh, warming up their muscles kind of doing uh, slower sprints down part of the track or jumps or whatnot part of it is Right, I'm taking deep breaths because get the heart rate going a little bit, get the blood pressure up a little bit, and and that so on. Moving. So it's interesting again how mm. it's all connected, our body to our brain as much as our brain is part of our body, but the control factor there is very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. There are many different deep breathing techniques. Some that are really quite advanced that actually have you doing different. Um, different rates and different formulations okay. of taking breaths. One, for instance, has you taking really quick bursts of breath. If you think about a young toddler, when they're really unregulated and crying, when they're starting mm -hmm. to regulate, right? That little, that gasp that you sometimes yep. hear from people. Yep. Um, and so there's different breathing techniques that get you to kind of mimic that sensation. We're not gonna do that today. Yeah. But the last activity you're gonna practice before a music break is what is called alternate nostril breathing. And so again, if you're wanting to sit comfortable, more than welcome to lay down, close your eyes, just get yourself comfortable. 
but you might want to watch this for a few seconds because it, it is a little bit tricky. Okay. What you're going to do is your pointer finger and your middle finger, you're going to place them kind of between your eyes. And we're going to be using our thumb and our ring finger. So that's, you're kind of placing them there because we're going to be using our thumb and our ring finger on our nostrils. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be alternating where you're going to be holding one of your nostrils closed, inhaling through the open nostril, then you're going to be closing both of your nostrils, finally releasing the alternate nostril to exhale before inhaling through it again. So I'll do kind of a, a first one to explain it, and okay. then we'll go at our own rate. So with your thumb on your right nostril, if you're using your right hand, you're gonna close off that nostril with your thumb. And I'll let you know when to release it by using that word thumb. Then I'll use the word ring to indicate on the left side of our nostril when we're gonna release that. So you have your fingers, your pointer finger, and your middle finger between your eyes, your thumb over closing your right nostril, and I'm gonna sound a little funny but you're going to inhale through your other nostril, place your ring finger over top of it to close both of your nostrils as you hold for a few seconds, releasing your thumb so you can exhale through your nostril. Inhale through that right nostril, close it off with your thumb so both your nostrils are closed and hold Release your ring finger, exhale, and then you're gonna inhale through that side before closing it off again and holding so that you can release your thumb on the other side. So just take a few seconds alternating between your right and left nostril. So that's called alternate nostrils. Did you notice any new sensation, anything different from the first time with square breathing? A little bit kind of more technical in yeah, a sense. Yeah, and I found it harder. Yeah, a little bit harder. That would take some practice, but yeah. It takes a lot of yeah, practice, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like any skill, and For that's sure. what uh, James Nestor talks about in this book, is that we've lost the art and the skill mm -hmm. of intentional and deep uh, controlled breathing. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be taking a music break and after, we're going to come back and talk about one of stress's biggest enemies, which is perception. Don't forget to follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub, as well as at Wellness at DC. Here we have Breathe by Stick Figure right here on riotradio.ca.
Welcome back to the WellPod at DC, right here at the Media Hub on riotradio.ca. So the last thing we wanted to quickly touch on, and as mentioned, we could spend weeks talking about this. I think it's weeks. one of our favorite uh, areas, <laughs> yeah. is how perception plays a role here. Because remember, some of the ways that we define stress is it's a perceived threat uh, in our environment. One really great resource that I recommend you tap into is a TED Talk from 2013 by Kelly McConical. She's a health psychologist that does a lot of work through Stanford and she did this TED Talk and we have an image coming up where it's called How to Make Stress Your Friend. And when I first saw this, it was light bulbs mm -hmm, going off because sure. finally we were starting to talk about the positive sides of stress. Like stress is not this villain that we need to avoid. There are some positive aspects to it. Remember that human function curve. But what's really interesting, she cites a study from the University of Wisconsin. They took 30,000 Americans, tracked them for eight years. And a lot of them said, they said, you know, how many of you have a lot of stress? 43% were at an increased risk of dying, not because they had a lot of stress, but because they believed stress to be bad. Yeah, wow. it was, it's it was so crazy. Cool. Yeah. It's so incredible. Yeah. So the belief of stress is number 15 cause of death in the United States. Mm -hmm. Not stress, the belief of stress is the 15th cause of death in the United States. Mm -hmm really encourage you to watch the TED talk. She talks about some interesting stuff. No, for sure. Cause like the key thing, just to emphasize what you're already saying, but it's, 
uh, it's the, yeah, those that believed that stress was bad compared to someone who has the exact same amount of stress mm-hmm. but believes it's okay. Yes. That it's there for a reason and it's a positive. The person who believed it was a bad thing was at a 43% more risk of dying than the person who thought, this is all right, it's here for a reason and helps me through. Right. So people who had still had a lot of stress but did not view it as harmful were no more likely to die and they were actually in the lowest risk of anyone in the study, including people that said they had a low amount of stress but still perceived it as really negative. Mm-hmm. Really, really interesting. Uh, um, Epictetus, he was an ancient philosopher, once said that it's not what happens but the view we take of it that matters. Perception and mindset, remember it's not just about positive thinking but a way that we can work against that nut analogy, right? How can we reduce something being novel, something being uncertain, having a lack of information, uh, letting go of that sense of control. So aligning our perception to be more realistic, but then also viewing stress as just something that's trying to activate all of those systems inside of our body that is trying to motivate us, get the optimal functioning and it's not necessarily an enemy no, for within sure. us. And I thought it was really interesting, sort of her second major part um, was related to community and ties back to stuff we've already talked about in terms of oxytocin in our brain and so on, but a similar study that was tied to people's um, uh, uh, percept or how much stress they had going on I should say in their life but then people who were engaged in their community versus not and the outcomes were very similar in terms of uh, people having negative health effects when they were not engaged in social relationship within the community versus those that were absolutely yeah it's yeah right. fascinating some key takeaways stress is not a villain We have many tools, we just touched on a few today, that can help us gain a little bit of control over that system. I encourage you just to breathe. Watch those mirror neurons when you are feeling anxious. Playlists and the books and tools that we mentioned today are on our Instagram account, at wellness at DC. And next week, I forget what we're talking about. Uh, It was... Yeah. Memory? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're so funny. Uh, yeah, so we're talking memory next week. Really exciting. It's big student question often. It's how do we remember all of the things that our professors and teachers are asking us to. Don't forget to email your questions to wellpod at durhamcollege.ca. Taking us out, here is uh, Underwater, Breathing Underwater by Metric. <laughs> I have last week's uh, thing on here talking about stress as we're going yeah. out. <laughs> Playing is out right here on riotradio.ca.
心。